Hey everyone, welcome back to Astro Alchemy. Um, we've been gone for a couple weeks because, well, basically just stuff going on. And then also, um, unfortunately, uh, one of us was ill. Laura, we're very glad to have you back. <laughs> um, I'm glad to have you back. And, um, and yeah, so we missed about four gene keys, a lot of transits. We missed um, a bunch of really exciting stuff that happened in August, but we're going to spend today talking about what's going on right now and what's going on in the beginning of September, because today is Wednesday, August 31st. It's 6.29 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and I believe 3.29 p.m. Uh, PM um, Pacific, uh, Pacific Standard Time. So, so just to give you an idea of where we're at right now, um, but yeah, this week we're going to talk about the Virgo new moon that just happened. We're going to cover the uh, upcoming, we'll probably touch a little bit on the upcoming Mercury retrograde, but mainly it's shadow period right now, uh, Virgo season in general. And then we're going to talk about Gene Key 40. I really feel incomplete without filling in the other four Gene Keys. I feel like <laughs> they need to have their own episode, kind of. Um, but you know that and that may or may not happen if we if we get the get the the energy later on but um but yeah we'll cover those if if you listen to this and we missed your key just write in and it'll give us the motivation um but other than that um did i miss anything for the intro i don't think so unless like as we look at the astrology more stuff might come up but i think that's a good intro for us to start okay sweet so um, so yeah, so let us pull up the astrology chart of the moment or of the day. Well, well, before we get into that, Sarah, let's, okay. let's debrief. So Sarah and I were just talking before we started recording about our own human design charts and our own kind of genetic makeup, but also how that uh, influences us. And part of that was looking at the root center and the emotional solar plexus, which Sarah has defined, I have undefined. And uh, right now Saturn's been in gene key 49 giving, and I have gene key 19. So it's been giving me this fruit and emotional center energy definition that Sarah is well equipped to deal with because she has it. It's a part of who she is and what she's here to be recognized for. And so for myself, these past couple weeks, well, I mean, it, the 49, if you have Gene Key 19, uh, Saturn went into 49, I think on July 5th, something like that. And it's going to be there until October, October 10th? No, October, ooh, I don't know, sometime in October <laughs> that it's going to take a little break, recommence in November and go into like mid-January, I think mid-November to mid-January. So it's a decently long transit to have if you are like me and you have Gene Key 19, or gate 19, uh, to deal with this emotional adrenalized, as I like to call it, adrenalized emotional energy, because the root is the pressure to do the pressure to whatever. For this case, it's the pressure to feel pressure to have emotions. Um, and so for myself, these past couple of weeks, that has wonderfully manifested as extreme anxiety, and not a lot of fun feelings. And so Sarah and I were talking about how she copes with it and deals with it. So I thought that would be beneficial to like put and sprinkle into here for you guys if you have 
defined root or defined email center, or if you have it undefined and you're like me and you don't know how to process it and deal with it when it's moving through you. So Sarah was telling me, but she'll tell you now about her coping mechanisms and what it feels like for her. Yeah, well, and I think that it's important to mention it's less of a talent and more of a skill that I have literally gathered and it's still not, it doesn't get rid of it, right? It doesn't get rid of the adrenalized emotional energy to have tools. It just helps you not spin into a frenzy because, you know, just to give some backstory and background, like I didn't speak in my seventh grade year because I had so much anxiety every single day. I profusely sweat. I would always have extreme sweat marks underneath um, my shirts. I was always wearing black because it was so bad because it wasn't just like, I wasn't even drinking coffee. You know, it had nothing to do with what I was consuming. It was literally like the adrenaline mixed with the emotionality. My face would turn bright red if I was, you know, basically emotionally um, uh, uh, affected in any way. And if I was embarrassed, it would just immediately go bright red. And so like, there were all of these physiological symptoms of extremely high anxiety that for, you know, the reason of my, just my birth chart. Um, and then also because of the way that I was raised. And then also because being put into a, basically being homeschooled and then being um, in like a small Christian or a Catholic school and then being in a giant public school, it was like everything coalesced around puberty in seventh grade where, yeah, I just, I was profusely sweating. I was always afraid, always in fear, always in anxiety. And that was actually seventh and the end of seventh grade, beginning of eighth grade was when I started using drugs. Um, and it was the only thing that basically freed me from all of that energy. And so it's funny because moving back um, and it's completely physical, but your mind can play into it in a way, or your mind can actually have a thought that your body then reacts to. And then that thought creates an emotion that gets the energy of your root to moving together with it. So, I mean, it is like an anxiety attack. It is like a panic attack. And if I had known that it was so insidious, at least for my system, I probably been more likely to seek out like mental health treatment instead of immediately going to like drinking every weekend and smoking and smoking cigarettes and smoking weed and all the things that I did from 13 on. And so it's actually, it's funny that this becomes a conversation because it is really interesting to look back on it. And now after being sober for over a year, you know, no more drinking, I've gotten rid of weed. I've really, really had to deal with the anxiety that I get in my physical body in a way. Um, and it's, you know, even when I was still smoking weed, I mean, it wasn't like I was constantly high, but I remember giving a talk in front of 200 people. I was at the assemblage and I, it wasn't a talk. It was more like the introduction to other people's talks. And I had to like go in the back and do like an insane amount of breath work in order just to get myself in a place where I wasn't physically shaking. So, um, so breath work, right. That is, <laughs> that's one of the tools that we can use. Like, but I mean like the type of breath work where you're hyperventilating We're not just like, let's just do left nostril breathe breathing. This is like, 
for at least two minutes. It has to be like through pursed lips, inhaling and exhaling, like you're pushing it out um, of pursed lips too. So you'll feel the oxygen start to kind of return to your body when you're doing that. And it gets like, it feels like hot and overwhelming, but when you're out of it, you feel better. So that's one way it's like extreme breath work, spending time with breath work, tapping, emotional freedom technique, tapping this. I mean, there's, there's like the few spots on your body. I've been doing a lot of tapping. Um, I would love to say meditation, but honestly, like if you're not doing a meditation that requires movement, it probably won't help. Um, and then things like yoga, and I don't mean like you have to do intense asana, but it's like, so you can, and it's not to get rid of the anxiety. It's more like to get yourself more firmly planted in your body to be able to take the hit. And so it's like doing different postures to get yourself in your body and then just walking, you know, just to like burn off some of the energy. So not drinking caffeine, mind you, if you're, if you're dealing with this, like, and I've had to kind of re I, I spent a lot of time off caffeine and I'm like, Oh, I love coffee, but I really shouldn't be drinking it still, even to this day. And maybe if you don't have defined energy centers regularly, you can drink all the coffee in the world, but then when you do have defined energy centers because of transits, it might be a good time to just do a caffeine detox um, for some time. So there's that. And then CBD. So CBD, non, uh, whatever it's, it's non-active. Um, it, it basically has the, some of the ingredients that weed has it, but just the ones that do like physiologically calming. And then if it's a longer period thing, you should do uh, body work, rolfing, or going to someone that does source point therapy, or um, any type of kind of longer um, energetic body work that's more to get yourself in your, uh, your um, fight or flight system, your nervous system into a state of calm. So it's like, and again, none of these things are going to like cure it. There is no cure. Sorry to be a downer. Um, but they are going to help you move through it. So you're not just like in a sweaty pile on, on your floor. Hyperventilating, really uh, hyperventilating in seventh grade. No, uh, thank you for that. Um, it makes me think of like just the energies of the emotional solar plexus, whether you have emotions and your center is defined or undefined those feelings are there to be felt their energy and motion. And the only way out of them is through them. You can't avoid them. And so you, these are wonderful techniques to move through the emotions, whether they're good ones or bad ones, most likely bad ones, but to move through the bad ones so that you can get to that place eventually of feeling grounded in your body. So well, and important to note too like for me specifically meditation is not so that when i'm in those i can't go into meditation when my nervous system is activated but meditation is so that when i'm practicing outside of those states when it's not been activated when i go into those states i'm less likely to choose thoughts that are going to push me deeper into that state i'm more likely to reach for better thoughts or try to clear my mind instead of kind of feeding into it. So it's a very like reptilian, like primordial, like ancient, like feeling. It's like very like your, your life is in danger. 
So I don't want to minimize it in any way either, because it's just interesting to know where it's coming from after dealing with it for so long. And it makes sense. I mean, I can, I can completely understand why someone who doesn't have that. And now I'm like, I thought everybody was like this. No. Well, yeah, not, not everyone has major anxiety. Nope. <laughs> But a lot of people do. And so it's shocking to know how many people actually do have anxiety and they just bottle it up and don't express it. But it's, I don't know, not not 100%, but much more than we think, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of different things in the chart that will feed into it too. Like, for example, if you don't have you it's split definition and you and one of them is like there's like a mental aspect to it and then one of them is the physical like in my chart I think that's like kind of a perfect storm for it because then you have your mind feeding into all of it there's not really a connection um it'll probably I also I mean I've seen insanely highly adrenalized energy coming from sacral people who don't have the emotional center defined so they have root and sacral and I'm like bro calm down like you know, they're like on another level too. So they're on another level of panic and anxiety. So I think there's, there's all of those different things to like consider. Um, uh, and like, if you've never really figured out ways to channel it in a creative way, like that's basically the, if, and you're used to it, right? Cause if you don't have to deal with it all the time, then you don't have to deal with channeling it all the time. But if you do have it all the time, then it's probably better for you to learn ways to actually channel it into creativity um, instead of just trying to cope. So, yeah, big, big topic, starting us off with Virgo season, which feels very appropriate since Virgos are signs or can be construed as signs that are often in their head and full of anxiety because of their perfectionism issues so I feel like it's fitting this inter- introduction into our podcast today um anywho we can move on to the astrology so I'm going to share my screen for a second so sorry if you're just listening to the audio because you don't get to see the screen but for those of you with here with us on video you can see what I'm showing you which is the chart of the moment for today uh so the sun's at eight degrees and a little bit of Virgo the signs break up here. And like Sarah said, the new moon was two days ago. Was it on Saturday? I don't know what day it was. It was, it was a couple days ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it was on Saturday. I don't know. I had COVID and with COVID, you don't realize how much your brain stops functioning normally. <laughs> and so knowing what day it was, knowing anything at all was just, nope, not for me for these past couple weeks. So yeah, new moon was back when the moon was in Virgo as well. Um, and it, I don't know, you you can talk about the new moon, Sarah, but just... Oh, my God. You, huh? No, I was just going to say, I got dragged. Like, I got fully dragged because, I'm, I mean, I have my... And this is a mutable uh, sign. So this is the sign that's taking us, changing us from summer to fall this is the energy of it it's why you know it's changing us too from being in the yin of the yang part of the year to the yin of the yin part of the year which i talked to you about before so we're going let's go tell everyone everything you told me so sarah went to the elements festival 
this past weekend, I think, right? And she led a talk about astrology and she talked about this wonderful way of looking at the signs through their yin and their yang energy. So take it away (laughs) from the beginning. So, so yeah, so I mean, I, I'm going to, I don't really like taking things that that are meant to take short or long quickly. So I'm going to try and do it in a way that is succinct but basically like when we're looking at astrology well I've said this before maybe not on the podcast but like the astrological signs like we tend to think Aries is the first sign um but realistically we can look at any of the signs kind of like they're the first sign because there's not really a numerological like um there's not really like there's a beginning or an end let's just say that so with what I talked about, I was talking about how essentially astrology is a technology that is about understanding the interplay between light and darkness. And so, of course, we can still look at it from the sense of like, okay, my son, the sun was in Leo when I was born, the sun was moving through the part of the sky that's associated with um, Leo. And, And so we can look at it like that, but on a more basic and fundamental level for the earth, the signs also represent kind of like the I Ching represents these different elements of the life cycle. And so if we're looking at it in a kind of bigger way, we understand that everything follows the cycle of life, the way that, you know, something is begun to, to when it dies and then the, the process repeats over again. So, um, so 1156 here, I'm like, okay, what kind of abstract, uh, where am I going? I want to say it for you. I just get excited. Like, oh, I'll do it. I'll take over. I know the answer to the question. Can you, Can you do it? Because I'm like, you know, I'm. Yes. Okay. So if we compare the wheel of the year to the new moon cycle, we can associate Capricorn with being the dark of the moon into the new moon being the you know first sign. It's time of year in the Northern hemisphere, at least. So this is different if you live in the Southern hemisphere, uh, this relational way of looking at things. Um, Capricorn is the, the winter solstice when the days are the shortest and the nights are the longest. And at that point in time, solstice onwards, the days get progressively longer. As we're coming towards the winter solstice, the days get progressively shorter, like as we are now with this time of year that we're in. And so that can be considered on a grand scale, like half the year is yang, half the year is yin. If the days are getting longer, that's considered yang. And if the days are getting shorter, it's considered yin. And so uh, Capricorn being, you know, the darkest time of the year, that's like the most yin point, also kind of like the new moon point. And as light progresses and we move towards but, Cancer on the other side. Let me just really quick say, Capricorn, it is the most yin point would actually be considered like 29 degrees of Sagittarius. <laughs> Because when we get to Capricorn, we're in the yang, we start the very beginning of the yang of the yin. So it's almost like there's, there's, if you're looking at the circle, there's like two things happening at once. There's part of it where you're right, there's half yin and half yang, but then there's also another part of it where the light is increasing and the light's decreasing. And so it's like, this is the interplay, but sorry, you were doing a good job. I just <laughs> No, thank you for correcting and just giving more nuance to it. Um, so 
I think I was saying as we move towards cancer, that's when the days are the longest. So, and also if you look at just the season of spring, the days are getting progressively longer and it's that yin, I mean, that young time of year where there is more sunlight. So I think that spring and summer are the young seasons and yeah. winter and fall are the yin seasons. However, uh, from Capricorn to cancer, that's the increasing light and then cancer to Sagittarius, whatever, et cetera, going back full circle is the decreasing of light. And so we look at the interplay of these changes of yin and yang of light and dark, which is, if you don't know how the I Ching is built with changing lines, if you have a solid line, it's a yang line. If you have a broken line, it's a yin line and the lines change from one to the other. There's this, you know, changing of energies. And so um, Sarah was telling me about this dynamic way of looking at things as, you know, quote, unquote, technology, as she said, to understand uh, the wheel of the year in the way of, sorry, like my brain just stopped working. You have to start talking now. Okay. <laughs> I was in a complete thought in my head and then it just like twiddled, twiddled out and it was, I don't know where that's going. That's what just happened to me before too. I was just like, no, just take it. But yeah, basically the point is, and by the way, I just want to shout out Adam Ellen Boss at Nightlight Astrology because he was the first one to introduce me to the concept, but like the concept didn't actually land on me until I was giving a talk about it. So, um, but, and this is a traditional, this is, it, this is a thought in traditional astrology, like something that um, Plato and um, Pythagoras and all these people, like they had the understanding of because it really is sacred geometry at its core. And so um, more or less what we're looking at, like I said before, is the interplay of light and darkness, the interplay of the yin and the interplay of the yang. And so when we're looking at Virgo, Virgo is in the yang part of the year, but it's in the, um, the yin part of the yang part of the year because it's past the summer solstice when light has reached its height. And now the light is starting to go down before we reach another equal amount of light and day at uh, fall equinox. So Virgo is the most yin of the yang signs. And when we're thinking about what that kind of means, there's a lot of ways that we can look at it. But one of the ways that I look at it particularly is like, okay, we're taking everything that we learn from the cycle and we're literally getting rid of anything that's not essential anything that is not going to come with us through the next part of this journey is gone and so when we're thinking about the energy of just cutting things away that's you know the virgo energy that it gets associated with perfectionism it's more like no we're getting rid of the stuff that we can't carry through us through the death cycle and into the next um the new cycle and so, because after we go from Virgo into the yin of the yin, this is like the deeply receptive time where there's not a lot of action happening anyway, insofar as the yang way, it's a very receptive time of year. And so Virgo is like the last spurt of energy and action to discern what's important and what's not before we go into like deep, contem uh, deep contemplation, um, or we start to head towards the dark of the moon energy um, which, which would be, um, related to the sign of Sagittarius. So, so yeah, so I feel like that and in other news too, Virgo has been associated with the Virgin, but it, it has to do with the harvest and, you know, what happens when you harvest things, when you harvest things, it's like, you can only store so much of what you harvest. 
you have to figure out how to what to give away to people you have to figure out what to jar you have to figure out what you can eat right now you have to figure out all of these different things before all of the fruit goes is is gone is no longer available so this is kind of um when we're talking about the virgin it's more of like extra virgin olive oil than it is like never uh had a sexual never been kissed in the movie <laughs> never been kissed and it's also like uh the black virgin which is like a woman who's fully basically in her essence it's like the the essential quality um of the feminine too again because it's we're talking about uh, a young sign that has yin a lot of deeply yin qualities and so it's like someone who has enough yang energy to assert themselves out in the world while simultaneously holding all of those qualities of yin and being receptive. And so this is someone who's a very, who's, who's figured out their essence and that's what they're grounded into. And so that's Virgo season <laughs> in a nutshell. I mean, in other ways too, it's, we can look at it through the, through the lens of mercury. So if you want to talk about that a little bit, Laura, um, but but yeah, so that's that's how I've been conceiving of Virgo season for myself. It's funny because <laughs> I garden. So yesterday we made jam out of figs because right now we have a plethora of figs and I made salsa with our tomatillos. Um, but it's like a battle with the gopher. He he just eats so much and it breaks my heart when he takes my things without permission. Um, but I wanted to say, I, I lost my thought already. Oh dear. Uh, something about what you were saying. You were talking about being whole into oneself, but that wasn't it. Um, oh, so from the pagan wheel of the year, I was thinking um, there's three harvests. There's, if you think about like, again, in terms of gardening and harvesting your garden, I mean, depends where you live and how much sunlight you get where you live because closer to the equator, it's sunlight uh, equally all year long. But um, the, I am going to botch their names. I don't know the proper ways of pronouncing the pagan festivals for the year, but there's eight of them. And so one is the summer solstice and that's the first harvest. And then there's the change, or I guess it's the halfway point within Leo season, that's the second harvest. Um, and then the fall equinox, I think is the third harvest. So we're still continuing to harvest during that time of year. And especially like if you garden in Southern California, like I do, uh, our hottest month is October, unfortunately. It's horrible and we get horrible desert. I don't like dry weather, but we get desert winds. And that's like when it's 90 degrees here. Um, so our season is prolonged and continues. So it's interesting to think about like this energy of, you know, figuring out what to harvest and what to store, because in my like practical life, we're not there yet. I'm still putting tomatoes out in the ground because I know we have a longer growing season. Um, but that's, I guess, neither here nor there. Um, but in terms of like the pagan wheel of the year, it is here because there is still that continual harvest that begins within the yin of the yin. Uh, so food for thought. I don't necessarily think I have anything to be like, here's my opinion or information for you, but just like, let's sprinkle in some extras toppings onto our pizza just for the sake of it. Um, but for the purpose of Mercury ruling over Virgo, um, like I was saying, I guess several weeks ago, cause it's been a while, there's this quality of like this young season of the year to be ruled by the planets closer to the sun, like Leo being ruled by the sun, 
uh, Mercury being close to the sun, Venus being close to the sun. So like there's this quicker pace to life with these quicker moving planets kind of being the preliminary energies that are kind of dictating what's happening. Not that that like takes away the energy from like the slower moving planets because they're all, you know, fairly equal sort of. We've talked about neutrinos. We've talked about the value of the sun and how Jupiter also creates neutrinos. And I don't know if there's like any scientific way of seeing which planet has the most influence. It's not important. Don't know where our brain's going with this, but Mercury rules over Virgo. And so uh, it's a planet that is seen to be going retrograde within for the sign of Virgo. So I feel like that is conducive to going deep into the energies of Virgo for all of ourselves. Something else I wanted to share that I just remembered was thinking about this concept of time and like the increasing and decreasing energies with the yin and the yang and the relationship that we each have as individuals compared with our own birth charts compared to like the mother earth and the underlying energies for everyone. Because you look at it in terms of your rising sign your rising sign is the first house and that house is on the lower hemisphere of your chart uh houses one through six are on the underside and so all of those are quote unquote yin whereas the top seven through twelve houses are on the top part of your chart northern hemisphere and so they're more yang those are ruled by daylight versus underneath they're ruled by dark light (laughs) lack of light darkness um and so we can look at our relationship to this concept of growing and decreasing energies based off where we are in our own personal point in time with our own inner wheel and the external wheel that we have to work with being human and you know participating in the mind and the matrix that's all around us um, again food for thought not necessarily anything I'm just talking for the sake of talking that's exactly i think that's exactly right and just to wrap us up like we all have planets in different parts of our chart so like to be like oh like if i was born in the southern hemisphere then i'm not uh and then i'm not a leo anymore i'm an aquarius is not the point that i'm trying to make point that i'm trying to make is that there's like a mathematical perfection to the energy that's where some of the connotations of the signs have come from as opposed to it being just because oh the leo looks like a lion in the sky right so i think that's something to think about and then i mean it's also a good argument for placidus which i don't use i'm a traditional i use traditional astrology but it's like sometimes it's an oval you know sometimes the way that the the wheel gets set up because of where we live and the weather, you know, the, the way that the weather patterns hit us and what's actually viable is more like an oval. I mean, if you're in like Siberia or, you know, the South Pole, like you're going to experience completely different kinds of energy. So it's not so much to be like, if you live in different places, you're not this sign or you are this sign. But I, I think it's just, it's more like food for thought and I haven't ever really landed anywhere when it comes to Placidus, because if you're thinking about like Placidus in terms of what I'm saying, you could see how like one season will be a lot shorter and another season will be a lot fatter. So like the season of the third harvest may be far bigger for someone who's living in California, like around where you're living. 
And so those types of themes may come up. I think the more important thing too, than just like how the, the equanimity or the, the quality of, be, of all of those time frames being equal is just the understanding that you're going to move through them in any type of creative endeavor, whether it's gardening or a project or your own life. You're going to go through these different phases with everything that it is that you do. So that's why it's like a technology. It's like, okay, I'm in a relationship. Am I, if I'm in the phase of death, it's like, I have to either, I have to either evolve or let go of the relationship. And if you're trying to act like you're in the new moon phase of the relationship, it's not going to work. You know, there's a, there's an issue there. So it's more like having the information that you need in order to um, address the part of life that you're in with whatever you're in. If it's you literally like your own, like yourself, developing yourself, developing your crafts, developing friendships, relationships, romantic, having children, you know, all of them go through these cycles. And then the planets are going through these cycles too, in their own time. So we're basically in this incredible kaleidoscope of multiple cycles happening all at once with any given thing. Um, it can be pretty disorienting. So uh, just something I feel like to use to orient you. Mm -hmm. um, something that came to mind, which isn't necessarily connected, but it's sort of relevant, is like you've previously said uh, that there is like this interesting thing to note with Sagittarius and Gemini season. So this was back when we were in Gemini season that you brought this up that it's the time of year that we graduate uh, typically from educational systems. And Virgo is when we begin educational programs, most likely we begin during Virgo season as like everyone's going back to school if you have children that are doing so. Uh, and it makes me think of this quality of planning that Virgo has of the preparing for the year, of preparing for the winter, which it's weird to think that you spend most of your education in this dark of the year phase um winter and the darkness and times where there is no light or there's minimal light but you know consciousing that to like you're growing with what you're learning so there's this growth quality happening at the same time of the death quality but this energy of planning and preparing with Virgo um it seems relevant and potent for all of us as we head into the winter here in the northern hemisphere as we head into the darkness to figure out what it is that we're gonna take with us. Um, and with Mercury soon to go retrograde, it'll be fun, have fun with it. It's a, as I usually say. Uh, like Mercury retrograde here. We freaking love it. We do, we honestly love it. I feel like we're fully in support of all of the mercurial shenanigans that are going to happen. So um, Virgo can be so serious. And so I feel like Gemini's the more fun side of Mercury. So like well, Gemini's the more, it's the, I mean, it's the more young of the young side, that's for sure. Um, so it's definitely, more, it's less self-conscious. You know, there's just like less of a self-consciousness to the Gemini Mercury, but, um, and it's going to be interesting, but I think everything that happens during Mercury retrograde needed to happen. It's just like, maybe it's a little bit humiliating to our egos when we make mistakes. So um so we don't tend to 
associate that with fun but like you know if you listen to if you listen to our podcast you know that we are big fans of suffering so <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> yes I'll have a dollop of suffering on my plate please 10 uh, out of 10 recommend to everyone um <laughs> I'm kidding but I'm not but like you know it's just kind of funny um but but yeah but anyway I think that well, did you have anything else you wanted to say before we wrapped up Mercury and Virgo and all Should that? We just suggest dates. We figured out the dates. I think September 10th to October 2nd is when Mercury will be retrograde. So we're in the preliminary shadow period. Mm-hmm. And after the second will be in the post whatever shadow period. I don't know the proper word of the opposite of preliminary mm-hmm. post whatever it is. Um, but yeah, other than that, I, we're, we'll probably continue talking about it as we move into it. So yeah, agreed. And I, yeah, like I, uh, I, when I was saying at the beginning, this Virgo new moon has dragged me because essentially what happened was I was, I've been having, you know, I've been having chronic pain because of multiple things, mainly Saturn, probably in my fourth house, but, um, you know, karmic physical things of building everything up and like now I kind of have to deal with the outcome of that and what ended up happening was I got prescribed a nerve pain medication and I started taking it and I was like oh my god this feels so much better but then I started like realizing after a few days that like I was like kind of numb like I was like kind of not fully present and so probably after like a week I was just like, I'm not taking this anymore because I don't feel like I know what's going on in my body. And in some cases that's good because maybe when you have nerve pain, you're um, protecting parts of yourself that don't need protection because the nerve is being activated. And so sometimes it's protective to not, um, to not be feeling it because then you're not in a constant state of contraction against the pain, but in, in, in kind of more real and, and in other ways, um, not feeling it means that you don't know what you're doing that's creating more problems or creating, compounding the problem. So after like a week of being on it, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going off of it. It's good, but I can tell that like I'm sleeping in ways that I would not sleep in had I not been on it. So I went off of it and I was just like, completely wrecked for like a week with the Virgo new moon, um, being basically like the peak of it. And it just, you know, first of all, it made me realize like, okay, um, I, I can take this thing that's going to decrease my suffering, but like, if it doesn't actually go to the root of the problem, then what good is it? So that was like a very Virgo energy for me. (laughs) I was like, not worth it, you know, especially with someone who's been um, on drugs for most of their conscious or unconscious life. Um, and, And so like, that was a big lesson that I pulled out of the Virgo new moon was just like, sometimes you just have to go through it and like, you're not supposed to fix anything because sometimes the fixing the thing is like a side quest and takes you away from, really having to get down to the root of something. And so I think that Virgo thinks a lot about the the structural integrity of things. 
Um, and my structural integrity was not good. Um, the good news is though, like I ended up because I was in so much pain, I ended up getting an appointment with an, uh, with an, a different doctor. I ended up scheduling a body work session, which was like totally amazing and like completely changed my outlook on what I was dealing with. And, um, I, you know, just doubled down on going to acupuncture and physical therapy. And so, and now I was more aware of what was happening during physical therapy too. So I could be more vocal and advocate for myself. So it's like pain's not the enemy. Although when you're dealing with it for an extremely long time, it can feel like that. Um, so, uh, anyway, that's my little Virgo new moon story as a Pisces, uh, <laughs> And I yeah, hope you enjoyed it. Is there anything else that we want to talk about with astrology? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. Unless you have anything you want to talk about. No, let's just keep it with Virgo season and move on to the gene keys. Okay. Um, or the human design, if you want to go into that first. Yeah. Let me share my screen again. And I'll kick this off with this is the current, I mean, here's the astrology on the side, but the current human design chart at the moment, uh, the sun is in gene key 40, line three right now, as we speak. Um, <laughs> innocence motivation, which is funny because that's our transference. Um, so we're at the tail end of the third line, but that's not significant. And the programming partner for 40 is 37. Um, which also have to be the whole channel that is between the heart center or the ego center or the will center, the red offset triangle that's not symmetrical um, and the emotional solar plexus, which is the brown triangle on the right-hand side. So uh, 40, whenever the sun is in 40 or 37 or the north node or south node, because um, those two planetary bodies, well, four planetary bodies, well, for either pair, they're always opposite of one another. And so whenever one's in one, the entire channel is defined. But like say Mercury was in 40, that doesn't mean the whole channel will be defined. But since it's the sun with 37 being where the earth is, we have a whole channel and it is a big one, uh, which I can get into. Um, but before we do that, we'll just share the gene key. Uh, the shadow is exhaustion. The gift is resolve and the city is divine will. Uh, with the will to surrender and the eaching being deliverance. And I was thinking, I don't know as much about the eaching than Sarah does. Um, let me turn off, whoa, let me turn off screen sharing. Where did we go? Stop share. There we go. Come on, brain. Um, I don't know as much about the eaching as Sarah. And so I'm curious if you know much about this gene key from the eaching perspective. Because um, I, when I was reading the gene key chapter, it felt very much hand in hand with the um, human design perspective. And I don't know what missing pieces were there that are a part of it that I was just unaware of. So, well, you know? start talking and let me just take a really quick brief look at my, my I Ching book because I have to remind <laughs> myself what I noted about it. <laughs> before I didn't really I didn't really look at the I Ching I, sometimes I do but lately yeah. I haven't been but yeah go ahead and let I'll me start talking okay so dream key 40 or gate 40 
is in the ego center or the heart center or the will center. It goes by all the names. The heart center is the most appropriate name. And that's the center of our willpower and our desire sort of motivation, life force. The it, It's one of the four motor centers. So I'm not going to try to like change the computer again to show you the chart again, but there's four motor centers within the human design system. Motor centers being centers that give energy and the root, we talked about the root and the emotional solar plexus at the beginning of this podcast episode. Um, And the other two are the sacral and the heart center. And the heart center is an energy that is connected to desire and willpower and proving oneself in competition and it's competitive did you find it do you want to yeah I did um but yeah I mean you can keep going but I mean I will just say like it definitely uh completes what I've read for um Gene King 40 but you know something that it talks about and I can get into this more when you're finished but one of the um the kind of words that are associated with the phrases is the end of obstruction and loosening the knot. And I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. Okay. Um, but I'll continue for now. So that center is connected to our ability to, to prove ourselves and to show our worth. And I think only about like 23 or 26% of the population has that center defined. And so with it being defined, say, for example, you have 40 as your life's work, if it's your birthday week, Um, or your evolution, if it's halfway from your birthday, then you'll have this energy and you'll have it defined because of the full channel, uh, giving you this sense of competitive energy to a certain degree to prove yourself, to show up with life force when necessary. And I think the, (laughs) the word life force in and of itself is slightly a conundrum when we're exploring this dream key, because Richard Rudd talks about the energy within this. Um, and he talks about energy versus force, that this center provides energy to do, to accomplish, to go after desires and to make things happen. But when we do things that are inappropriate for us, or we choose for our mind to do something and we think we really want this, we should be doing it, we have to do it. When we get pulled into doing things that are incorrect, uh, the energy doesn't flow and we have to force it. And so there's this uh, resistance that comes up with that quality of force of trying to make things happen when they're not supposed to happen that eventually leads to exhaustion. Or when I was reading this chapter, I was like, burnout, we all have burnout. Everyone has burnout. Everyone struggles with it. It's because of our deep conditioning, uh, energies from this particular gate that I'll get into. Um, but so I, I say life force, which makes me think, should I really be using those two words? Because it's not force. It's the the true heart of this energy that allows us to exert our will and to show up and have things happen in a way that we desire it because it connects to the heart and the heart's desires. Um, it's not something that needs to be forced. When something's correct for you, like essentially in a nutshell, when something's correct for you and it is connected to what you are here to have happen, the energy will be there. Like it's going to show up for you within you or within resources, people around you helping you and you'll be able to do and accomplish whatever it is that you want to do or accomplish. Um, 
and it's interesting to think about the connection with you know desire the the pleasure that comes from doing things from that sense of accomplishment because the 4037 channel connects to the emotional solar plexus which deals with pleasure which deals with you know the positive emotions that come from getting what we want for the most part or experiencing what we want or just feeling good uh so there's this quality of emotional success or emotional satisfaction that comes from you know doing something putting in the effort and having it happen and um in the chapter richard rudd suggests the quote um but he doesn't say it this way but he talks about it so like maybe this quote has been uh said in different ways um but if there's a will there's a way of when we think about like the energy of force we think like if if I put enough of my willpower into it, I can do anything. And that is not something that is healthy for everyone to experience. For some people, yes, if there's a will, there is, the way will open itself up because it's divine will, because it's the universe wanting to experience something out of you as an individual. Therefore, the energy is open and easeful. But if it's your own mind and ego trying to say, if there's a will, there's a way, I'll do it, I'll force it. Uh, it most likely will not happen, especially if you have a center undefined. But if you have it defined, then it's different because for you, it's healthy to experience that sense of competition, that desire, energy of wanting to see something unfold, wanting to prove yourself, prove to yourself that you can do it. And so there's this different quality of the divine will communicating itself through you um, because you have a defined ego center ego being the operative word. Um, but I talked about the conditioning energies and that's because this channel is part of the cross of planning, uh, which is where the procession of the equinoxes is pointing to right now. So I feel oh like we've talked God. about- That's so interesting. I did not know that. That is a new piece of information for me. Like I, knew <laughs> I didn't know it and that's really interesting where even if you don't have this gene key you have this gene key we all have this gene key we've all had this gene key for the past 400 600 years however 400 years so the crop okay so 2027 if you're unfamiliar it's a point in time i think it's february 23rd 20 something i could be wrong but there will be a moment in time when the procession of the equinoxes will change into the next sign but going backwards so like what's the procession of the equinoxes you may ask well it's the dawning of the age of aquarius if you haven't heard from the hit musical hair um, but the it's the dawning of the age of aquarius as they like to say and so we're coming into a new age an age being a very significant amount of time a 2000 year chunk of time in which there's a certain sign that rises on the eastern horizon uh at the sunrise with the vernal equinox if we're going to be super specific spring equinox whatever signs rising is kind of the sign that dictates the energies but as we we're talking about the wheel of year it's not just spring equinox it's the spring equinox it's the summer solstice it's the winter solstice and it's the vernal or the other one the autumnal equinox um that there are four points in time there for four gene keys or four gates or four points in the zodiac belt that are the core of what the matrix and the maya is experiencing and for the past good amount of time, we've been in the cross of planning, which is 9, 16, 40, 37. And I have 9 and 16, but I am not cross of planning. Um, 
but this whole period of time that we've been in has been for the betterment of society through bargains and through agreements with one another to support one another, tribal agreements that support the collective, essentially. Uh, 4037 is part of tribal circuitry, so it deals with small intimate groups of people making agreements with one another. 40 is the willpower to do half of the agreement. 37 is the, okay, thank you for helping me. It's like the gratitude, the feel good, the appreciation for the person doing all the work. And so if you think about people with 4037, um, they get put into situations where they are the one that has to do the things for other people. They're the ones that show up. They're, they offer deliverance on requests, essentially, hence the name of the, the hexagram. Um, but they people recognize the 4037s or the 40s willpower and their energy to you know make, make ends meet or do whatever it is that needs to be done. And so the 40 has the energy if it's, you know, properly requested of them and it comes from their divine will to show up and make that bargain be met. Um, and then it's the 37 that is where like the appreciation for whatever they do comes from. Um, I have 37, I don't have 40. So I feel like I'm highly conditioned by GQ40 because it's a hanging gate for me or not a, a undefined. Is it hanging? I don't know. Anyways, I feel like I'm sort of talking in circles. Maybe there's something you want to say, Sarah. No, I think um, everything that you said was really spot on and interesting and um, a good synthesis of all the different kind of aspects of it. Really interesting about the gate of plan or the cross of planning, because it makes so much sense that our society is like, has been so willpower oriented for the past 400 years. And I thought it was really interesting, like you were talking about before, the energy versus force. And there's a book called Force Over or Force Versus Power by I think his name is David Hawkins, the doctor, but he talks about the difference um, of basically the emotional, we maybe actually well, basically there's an emotional scale, a vibratory scale. I know I sent it to you, Laura. And it starts at the very bottom with like guilt and shame and then goes all the way to the top with enlightenment. And basically while you're in those bottom, um, the middle uh, feeling is neutrality and beneath that is like courage and beneath that is pride. And so when you're in all of those lower level vibratory emotional fields, you're in force versus when you're in the top half of it, you're in power. And so power is like divine wills coming through you. And something that Richard Rudd said that I found really interesting in the chapter is just that when you are using your will alone, you literally have to deal with all, you're pushing up literally against the universal flow. And so it's like this, it's, it's Sisyphus pushing a boulder up a hill. Can you get something done? Sure, probably, of course. But like how much of a problem, like how problematic is going to be for your physical, physical self to do it because you're using your body um, and you're using this willpower instead of allowing yourself to go to basically be lubricated by the universal flow. And so it's a completely different experience. Um, and so that's a lot of where burnout comes from. And it's like one of the biggest things that we have to deal with, I think. And a lot of people started being aware of when COVID happened, 
of this tendency to, um, to get to burnout or to do basically the important thing is like you were saying in the very beginning is not that we build it. It's that we take intentional action that signals to the universe. Okay. If this is the line, come in and move through me, but we don't say, okay, I have to do this myself and that myself and the other thing myself and all of these things. Maybe if you're a manifester, there's like a little bit more of that, but there's still, it's still, um, energy over force, or you could say power over force, um, for them, if they're behaving properly, right? There's just an insane amount of friction when you're going against universal flow. And I think that that's what, um, this chapter and this gene key and this gate kind of speaks to. And I'm trying to think what were the shadow, the repressive and, um, reactive. Uh, the, acquiescent and contemptuous okay which if you remember it's the acquiescent is if there's two types of people usually with this shadow i think richard Rudd explained uh that either you let people walk all over you <laughs> and you're like i feel like it's very much number two numerology of not having strong boundaries and not knowing when to say no like the power of no is a big lesson within this shadow um but just being someone that you agree to work for low pay you agree to do things without getting anything out of the bargain and so you just let people walk all over you or you feel like you have to do everything alone and then you build up a lot of resentment and anger and um just icky emotions towards all the other people in your life either because you try to push through and do things alone uh, and you don't build the healthy relationships. Um, but again, there's like such a fine line between welcoming people into your life and then also having the boundaries to not let them walk over you when you do. And uh, this is one of the gates of aloneness um, in terms of like the sexuality of human design. Uh, there are certain channels that correspond to our sexual nature and this is the one of I self-pleasuring let's call it that I wasn't going to use the other word of self-pleasuring of being alone of you know it's there's a bargain that's made within the whole channel but this gene key on its own is about I'm just going to take care of myself for a second over here without meeting the other person and it's that requirement of alone time that require requirement for peace from other people because they can be intrusive and can you know walk all over you a lot of the times so um i think it's an interesting gene key because even though it is tribal it does need a lot of me time not necessarily sexual me time but just peaceful like i need my alone time to recuperate me time yeah no and i think you know i know somebody with this uh channel too and that actually makes a lot of sense that it checks out. And I think that one thing that also stuck out to me, which is why I was like, oh my God, of course we're in 40, was the theme of relaxation and relaxation being very important and being different than rest and being something that we're the most, likely one of the things that like as a society, we're the most starved of and like deep relaxation. And, you know, it was interesting because I've been going to physical therapy. I've been going to acupuncture. I've been doing 
um, all of these things, right. To like try and, and help myself. And then I went and got body work done and I mentioned source point before, but it was source point And it was with, um, someone give a shout out named Dan, uh, Boisets. I think I'm pronouncing that right. He knows like an insane amount of stuff about the body. He's like literally an anatomy, uh, genius, but he, was saying to me basically, cause I was like, my shoulder hurts, my back hurts. And when he worked on me, he worked on me. I'm not in those places at all because he was trying to get my body into a deep sense, a state of relaxation in order for me to be able to heal. And so it was more important to him that I get into relaxation than it was for him to attack the painful areas. And he said, a lot of times in Western medicine, they're going to go after where it hurts instead of trying to get you into a state of relaxation. And it's like, yeah, of course, because nobody knows how to relax. But I said to him after my session was over, I was like, I don't think I've relaxed like that, like maybe ever. <laughs> like, I literally don't know. Um, and so I immediately felt better. Immediately. I mean, I immediately felt better. And then the next day, my pain was like cut in half. I had been taking Advil and ibuprofen every like four hours before that. And so I was really not in good shape. And so I just found so interesting that relaxation, like, I just feel like I should, it, I should be the poster child for relaxation because, um, because of what happened. And so of course, this is what the, the gene key was related to. And just one other thing about Richard Rudd and his take on it was, um, talking about how uh, the path of enlightenment for this particular gene key is that of negation. And he, he speaks on saying no and how important the holy no is because even if somebody doesn't like you not acquiescing or doesn't like you just helping them even when you don't want to, like ultimately it will benefit the nature of the entire relationship. My dog is barking. Sorry about that. But um, go ahead, Laura, if you could just. <laughs> I don't mind the dog barking. It's like not that loud for us. I don't think perhaps it's loud for you and like makes it distracting for you. But uh, yeah, the power of no. And again, I feel like that corresponds to what I was saying with numerology too, of having strong boundaries and knowing when to say no and when to say enough is enough even though it's not like a stable energy, it still has like some of those things. Um, and how extremely conditioning it is for like all of humanity and has been for so many years um, because of the, the cross of planning being part of what has been influencing us. And so it's interesting to think about that. Like we've all been conditioned to prove ourselves to, because it's defined and to feel certain ways because we've had both the heart center defined and the emotional solar plexus defined through the past 400 years with this conditioning agent that we've all been under this pressure, this energetic pressure to prove ourselves, to show our value, to make sure we are of value to others and to partake in agreements. And a lot of that is familial agreements family units, if we think about tribal circuitry, um, which this gate is a part of, or this channel is a part of both, um, part of tribal circuitry is family units, um, people agreeing to take care of one another within a close unit of 
human beings working together and coexisting together. Um, and also like works, work communities and work agreements, working for a company, all that. So it'll be interesting to, I mean, it has been crumbling, like Sarah said, with COVID, people are realizing the state of their burnout and exhaustion because it's, we've been go, go, go 100% for so long that we've come to a point where humans realize we don't know how to relax. We don't know how to do it. Like even within this idea of um, COVID and being sick, it's different in other countries. I feel like part of this is just American culture, but in American culture, you get sick, you still go to work. <laughs> you know, you, you have to be there. You have to show up. You have to prove yourself. You have to prove that you're a good employee. You can't, you know, confront the status quo. You have to do it. And so even if you're sick, you still show up to work and then you infect other people. And like, that has been the way for quite a while. Um, and so now with COVID, like we finally put up a boundary for like, okay, you have to stay away from work for so many days, regardless of like, if you're fully better and then you're just expected to return to work, regardless of how you feel, like whether you're fully recovered or not. Um, but my time living in France, which is very brief, it was so different because like, if you're just the teeniest, tiniest bit sick, you don't go to work. Like you, people will be upset with you if you show up, if you're sick, because there's so many different beliefs around, you know, protecting oneself and one's health and all that. Um, but yeah, so like looking at that from the lens of the 3047 and like American culture, I feel like America is the far extreme of the shadow side of this gene key because Americans take two week vacations compared to like all of Europe, which takes all of August off for vacation on top of like winter vacation and other things. Um, anyways, yeah, it's it'll, it's dissipating slowly, but surely it's dissipating. We're moving away from it. Something I mean, interesting though is America's never not had to cross the planning, you know, like in its entire history. Oh. It was built with the cross of planning active and it's but like all of those other places, not all of them, but many of those other places have been around long before the cross of planning. That's true. So, so it's just an interesting thing to think about. Look at me, I'm losing light over here. I know. It's very bright over here right now. It's getting darker and darker, like I like. But no, I think that that, yeah, I think that what are the other two gates that have to do with the cross of planning? Nine and sixteen. Okay. And that's what centers are they in? Nine's in the sacral and 16's in the throat. Okay. 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 Interesting. All right. Well, we're just going to have to pay a lot of attention again during Sagittarius season. Cause I just, I feel like there's an, I, I'm probably going to go back and listen honestly to when we talked about it during Gemini season, because now that you're mentioning it, like this energy of this emotion to the uh ego center is like so prevalent right like it's so obvious everywhere you look like this is such an important energy to get right i think and well mainly to let go of right because we're gonna have to let go of it no matter what or mainly to watch as we you know unbeknownst to us collectively are moved out of it so yeah but oh, yeah. it's so interesting to think about the pleasure side. Like we seek pleasure so much. We seek the emotional high as a collective so much. So that's like also a very adamant part of this channel. It's not just proving ourselves. It's 
the feel good side too. Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. <laughs> We're almost there. It'll be something much of it. I mean, I'm definitely over it because I don't have a defined G center. So I'm like, I've, I just, I'm glad that we're going to move out of it. But, um, but yeah, is there anything else you want to touch on with 40 before I lose like completely? <laughs> um, you'll just be like a little ghost in the dark. Um, yeah, black screen, just talking. Yeah. I guess just my question with the hexagram, the I Ching, what is said within there about it? So there's a few different things, but the ruling line says, um, well, there's a few different ruling lines. The image is thunder and rain invigorate. This is the image of deliverance. Thus the superior person forgives misdeeds and pardons mistakes. Um, so it has a lot to do with letting go of things, but what comes up a lot, things that I underlined was basically a passage about if you hold on to hatred and resentment, they'll hold on to you. So this I think has to do with the um, contemptuous nature of the repressive or the reactive side. And also it talks about the joy that comes from breaking the chains of um, inner servitude that's crippled the soul. So like when you actually relax into just being one with the universal flow and allowing your will to move you instead of you using it to move yourself um when it, you're not supposed to like there's a huge freedom that happens it's like breaking chains and so that's like going from being instead of doing and we all need a little bit of that i think <laughs> yeah if you come closer you're a little brighter but based on our lighting, maybe that's where we'll end it for today for you all. That's where we'll cut it. But, um, but yeah, but I think that this was a good treatment and I'm glad to be back. It feels very refreshing. Yay. Okay. Thank you for listening, everyone. Tune in next week. Hopefully we'll still be here. Yeah. <laughs> make no promises because we have undefined G I mean, ego centers. So we make no promises. Yeah. So I think we'll be okay. But yeah, but yeah, thanks everyone and take care. Bye.